0: This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. We've
1: got two pandemics going on in this country right now. That much should be clear. We have this terrible COVID-19 pandemic that has now killed a few hundred thousand Americans. December, I'm sorry, January uh, of 2021, the worst month yet for deaths. Over 90,000 Americans died in that month, according to the latest CDC numbers. But there's also an encouraging trend on the other side of the equation of cases going down pretty substantially, about uh, in the 20 to 30 percent range for the last over the last two weeks. Hospitalizations also uh, also down. See, the 14 day change in cases, according to The New York Times, 32 percent. Hospitalizations, 19 percent. So. Hospitalization is even more important than cases. As we know, we're we're most concerned about severe disease here and not the spread of this to people who are essentially going to have almost no symptoms or or problem with it whatsoever. But what I think everyone's starting to figure out now, I mean, if you're paying attention to this and certainly if you listen to this show, you know that we, we got a really big problem here with how we're going to get out of this mess. Because it's increasingly clear that no matter how many people get vaccinated and no matter how low hospitalizations and deaths may fall, there's a large segment of the U.S. population that will demand masking and social distancing for the rest of 2021, at least. Because we have, as I said, two pandemics, or you could say it this way, we have a mass hysteria disorder as well as a viral pandemic got two things happening here simultaneously. The American people have been so conditioned by a media that exploits and, and mobilizes fear for its own purposes that the American people are now, by and large, incapable in many places, in many states, in many cities of having a rational, reasonable conversation about what society or well, well, what risk society can take, what they can accept. Right. We're being set up for this absurd, absolutely absurd standard of essentially no risk whatsoever from covid. If we accept that as a country and the Biden administration is all on board for this, understand it's getting worse. The panic is getting worse while the virus is receding because the Biden administration is very much on the side of the hysteria pushing it they use it to to defeat trump so it has been a tool for them and they're also ideologically invested in the maximum panic so this is not just going to get better as i've said all along even if they allow some restrictions it'll always be conditional they'll always want to maintain some level of control that they can reassert so maybe they'll reopen in california and new york but they'll say We still believe you should mask and social distance. We still believe and when I say reopen, I mean, some level of restaurant capacity, some level of, you know, essential workers that will or or just workplace uh, accessibility that will go up. That's where we are. But this is going to continue well into the summer. They're going to tell you to mask up through the entirety of this year, and they're going to act like if you don't want to do that, you're a monster still, which is idiocy. But it continues on because no person could look at what has happened in the last three or four months. I mean, it's impossible, for example, to look at the covid data in Florida, California, New York and come to the honest conclusion that lockdowns were a good idea. There are a whole lot of people, particularly in the media and politics, who owe millions, tens of millions of Americans an apology for the hysteria that they pushed and the stupidity that they displayed and and the willingness to just act like a bunch of, of lunatics because this is what they either were benefiting from politically or because they had convinced themselves that this was the proper approach. Senator and medical doctor Rand Paul has been pointing this out recently, and I'm pleased to see somebody of his stature also making this case that this is now just become absurd. This is now crazy. All the little, all the little double maskers and triple maskers, and oh, social distance. We're gonna flatten the curve any moment now. We're gonna—they didn't flatten anything. We had the worst month ever, the most masking, the most restrictions, months and months of preparation, and vaccinations going out at a pace of about quarter—I mean, uh, three quarters of a million to a million a day for weeks—and we still had our worst month ever of deaths, by far. But all these mitigation measures, all this. All the little places in the elevator, put your feet here as if that's going to save you, you know, wash your hands, reminders all over your office, your workplace, all all, everywhere you go, mask up, wash your hands, mask up, wash your hands, social distance. It worked so well that we just had our worst month ever, ever from COVID-19 deaths. And you see what's going on in Florida versus what's going on in New York. Florida has stayed largely open. You say, oh, but, Buck, Florida has better weather. So that's the big difference. All right. Compare Florida to California over the last 90 days. One place has all businesses basically open, allows people to go about their lives. And the other is telling everybody stay home and be terrified. What is the benefit of the stay home and be terrified policy? Someone explain to me. Show me the data. Here's Rand Paul pointing out, as I was saying, Senator Rand Paul telling everybody, This is Madness. Play 10.
2: So they're telling you the truth they think that you're able
3: to hear, but they're making up the truth and telling you, giving you basically disinformation to try to guide your behavior because you're not smart enough, you American, you're not smart enough to make these decisions. So I'm not surprised that Cuomo lied about this. I'm not surprised that others in the government continue to sort of tell us lies,
2: you know, thinking they know better than we do. Um, It goes with elitism.
1: Dr. Fauci lied to the American people. Don't let this go. I, I know that there's so much propaganda out there. Dr. Fauci lied to the American people about the utility of masks by his own admission last uh, last February, March in that time frame. Did it on 60 Minutes, among other places. He lied because he thought we couldn't handle the truth. That's what he says now. By the way, that's not even the. he's lying now about lying. But there's so much social pressure. Oh, the smart people are the people who all believe in the masks. You'll notice on this show, I, I pointed something out last week. Because I, I, I go by the data, the data, as Dr. Fauci says. I, I, last week, I said to you, hold on a second. This is also obvious. It's basic. It's basic aerodynamics, man. It's like the mesh on the face and you breathe and it gets stuck in it. And it just saves you if you wear the mask, the whole thing, right? It's also obvious. It's so obvious that never before in 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 the last hundred years since the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1918, uh, never before have we been told with flu seasons, killing tens of thousands of people a year that everybody needs to mask up. Never before had this had this been so obvious to everybody. But now, of course, it's totally necessary. That's what they totally necessary. And if you disagree on social media, they'll they'll shut you down because they don't know the history of science. They don't know that. If the rules of social media today were applied throughout our history, Einstein, Galileo, Sir Isaac Newton, all would have been deplatformed. But the people that are in charge of this, they don't know. They're just a bunch of morons who watch MSNBC. They work at legacy institutions where they are just one tiny cog in a big machine, and they just want other people around them to think that they're good and smart. No courage. So much of this is actually more a lack of courage, a lack of intestinal fortitude that it even is uh, intelligence. I think there are a lot of very high IQ, a lot of very bright people who recognize that they're being lied to about this stuff, but they also recognize that if you live in L.A. or San Fran or New York or D.C. or you know, L- L- N- Chicago, you want to go along with the herd on this one. You don't want to be a person that actually stands around and asks questions about this or even points out how dumb it is, but so... I, on the other hand, like to point out how dumb this stuff is. Last week, Dr. Fauci had said, and "I'm and using week roughly, it might have been the last 10 days. In case media matters, facts check, fact checks me. Um, speaking of cowardice. Uh, so the last week or so, the, the Dr. Fauci said that obviously, and we played it for you. We played the audio for you here on the show. You know, obviously two masks, better than one mask, you know, clear that because of the mask. And then we had Dr. Osterholm, who was Biden's chief of uh, during the transition of, of covid policy uh, advisory or whatever. We had Biden's chief guy, Osterholm, go on a couple of days later and say, um, yeah, that's actually not true, that it may make things worse because of the way that essentially double masking. You might have to breathe even harder and that will push even more air out of the seams. So less will be captured to the mask. And by the way, I don't even care what his reasoning is all that much. Because the essential point here for my purpose is here you have two experts the left holds up on something as simple as are two masks better than one. And they disagreed. The media is not going to get into this. I do. They disagreed. Now, I'm okay with scientific disagreement. But don't you see this is yet another data point of hold on a second. You mean they don't know everything? You mean they haven't figured all this out? It isn't obvious. It isn't clear. There's still open questions about this. And guess what? Now, Fauci actually takes a step back and says the following. Play three.
2: There are many people who feel, you know, if you really want to have an extra little uh, bit of protection, maybe I should put two masks on. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's no data that indicates that that is going to make a difference. And that's the reason why the CDC has not changed the recommendation.
1: There's no data. That's another way of saying there's actually no proof whatsoever that what he had told us a week ago was and he, he was smug about it. Obviously, two masks is better. Oh, there's actually no data to support that. And other scientists, Dr. Osterholm, I'll give you the name. I bring receipts, my friends, as the kids say. Dr. Osterholm is out there telling you that, no, that actually makes it worse. So I- I- explain explain this to me. It's all so obvious, right? If you question this, you're so dumb. Just listen to Fauci. Listen to Fauci. Fauci is the James Comey of public health officials. This guy is a slimy bureaucrat fraud. It should be very obvious to anybody now who's paying attention. But do you think the media gets into this at all? Do they point out that, oh, double masking, there's a dispute? How can there be a dispute on double masking if it's if it's all just settled science? And if you question it, you're a monster. And the independent fact checkers will come after you. We have... A problem here of hysteria, of irrationality that has taken over the country and we're going to have to take it back. We're going to have to actually get everybody to stop being crazy and understand that there's going to be variants of covid. There's going to be a continued possibility that somebody, even if they're vaccinated, even if they mask up or even if they do this or that, they can still get this. And there are still going to be some people who die. This is life. But otherwise, we're going, to be, we're going to be continuing to go through this. How much, how much of your life are you willing to give away to this madness? How many months and months of your life are you willing to see? How many years of your child's schooling are you, are you willing to light, light on fire and say, yeah, sorry, I guess he doesn't get to learn
2: because of Fauci?
1: You know, and Look at what he's doing. He's saying it's not that big a deal to wear two masks. Is basically his thing. So if you want to, go ahead. Okay, that's true. It's also not that big a deal if I tell you that you should hold your breath for 30 seconds 10 times an hour because you'll be breathing less in the air, and therefore there's a chance of less COVID transmission. But you'd say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. How do you know that? Because you thought through it. Exactly. What do you think of what Fauci's recommendations look like these days? How helpful? How much is it really working for you? Two masks? Well, I'll tell you this right now. I'm a triple masker personally. I quad mask because I care i quintuple mask because i want to save grandma i've got 10 masks on my face because they extend so far that it'll make people stay six feet away from me at least more like 10 or 15 feet and actually they run away because they think i'm a lunatic so look at that great covid protection boom i win
0: this is the buck sexton show podcast Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
4: Broadly speaking, should schools be
2: open? You know, I would back the CDC recommendations because that is really based on data. We didn't fully appreciate that early on. But the fact is that when you look at a community and look at the penetrance of the virus in the community and its spread, at the community level compared to the school in that community it's less likely for a child to get infected in the school setting than if they were just in the community so for that reason understanding that this is not an easy issue and you've got to understand the concerns of teachers because they obviously have a concern an understandable concern putting all that together we need to try and get the children back to school and that's the goal of President Biden, that in the next hundred days to get the K to eights back in school.
1: This guy is a coward. All right. And he's been wrong about critical things all along, just like he was wrong about the risks of HIV transmission to different uh, different groups back in the 80s. When look back at that, you'll see this guy. He's just been failing up his whole career. Notice how he's asked there by uh, some journo about schools. Should schools be open? The answer is yes. The data is unequivocal on this. The answer is yes. But he does this whole dance. He doesn't, you know, well, you know, it's a very complicated, you know, it's not complicated. You better mask up outside. Ask somebody, show me the outside masking data. Show me the data on how outdoor masking will protect you from covid-19 and and that there's a real risk of covid-19 outside. I, I challenge I challenge anybody listening to this anywhere across the country. Please send me find me that data. Don't send me something where it's like, well, you know, we asked 100 people who mask and blah, but no, I mean, actual science. But you see, Fauci won't just say open the damn schools because Fauci's a Democrat bureaucrat and he doesn't want to upset his new masters in the Biden administration. So he won't actually tell you the truth and your kids are suffering. Now, a lot of you I know are in places where the schools are open. Thank God, and I'm happy for you, but there are lots of places all across the country where schools are still closed. And and basically, in major cities, you've got school closures in all the big blue states. Millions and millions and millions of kids across America stuck, not stuck home for a week or two, not for 30 days, not even for six months, going on a year now, a year of no school, not seeing their friends, no contact with teachers. Fauci can't take a stand on this one. If he was willing to say what the Democrats don't really want to hear because of the teachers unions, and that's the only reason we don't get to hear. If he was willing to tell them the truth on that, I would be more open to him making good faith errors on other things or that they are good faith errors he's making. But he's a cunning little bureaucrat who does what his masters want him to do. That's who Fauci is. That's how this guy got to be the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, because he tells the powerful people what they want to hear when he needs to tell it to them. And you get to suffer and you get to have your business destroyed and perhaps your life ruined because, you know, Fauci wants to be careful with the data. Schools should be open full. St- you know, he says, again, we should try it. To- Why can't you just say schools should be open, guys? No, he has to do this whole thing of, you know, the teachers and I'm sorry, I have have no sympathy for teachers who are not senior citizens and are not immunocompromised saying that they shouldn't have to go back in the classroom while they're going to Whole Foods and the people working there are still doing their jobs and the mailman and the truckers and the nurses and the first responders. They're all doing their jobs. I'm going in and I'm just some media clown. I'm going in the office every day as well. But the teachers can't. The teachers can't be asked to teach.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at bucksexton.com.
3: Do you expect to be back at the table later today? If they absolutely tell us that they're ready, we will stay up all night to get a deal done. I think I said that in my opening remarks. OK, over and over again, we want a deal done. We are ready. We are calling. We are practically begging CTU to come to the table so we can get a deal done. Practically
1: begging the Chicago Teachers Union to agree to finally go back into schools. So, so if you're wondering, am I exaggerating? Am I am I uh, going too far by by dumping all over the teachers unions right now across? The, the answer is no. Here you have a Democrat mayor in a very Democrat city who is making it quite clear that the teachers unions are just holding kids hostage because they want more stuff. It's not just about, oh, air filtration systems. Give me a break. No, they want more stuff. They want more funding. I'm sure what they're going to do is say that they need all this funding for covid. But then anything they don't use for covid can be used on other things, too. That's how this game is played. Public sector unions are a blight a blight on our society. They should not exist. And that was known from the very beginning of the formation of unions in this country in the early 20th century. But now here we are dealing with this and seeing exactly who really does care about the kids, the children. You know, let's put, let's put Randy Weingarten on TV again. Teachers just want to teach. Yeah, sure they do. Teachers unions, though, want to make sure that they're turning the taxpayer upside down and taking all the pennies they can out of their pockets while the country's in a crisis and kids are suffering and parents are suffering. The teachers are getting understand this. There are now places where the teachers are vaccinated and they're still complaining about how they don't want to go into school. So you're vac. So you get to the front of the vaccination line. You're vaccinated, but you still don't want to go in. Oh, covid. I'm sorry. At some point, this is too much. At some point, this is people being afraid of their own shadow or pretending that they're afraid of their own shadow, which is a problem in and of itself. In some ways, a worse problem, at least real fear. I I have some sympathy for, although we need to deal with it and convince people to stop being so afraid all the time. Otherwise, we're just not even going to get our country back. We're going to be sitting here. In a year with the Biden administration, you know, Joe Biden's going to be up there giving speeches. He's going to have four masks on and goggles. And, you know, we're, you know, we're still uh, we're still trying to, you know, we're, we're believing the science here. And uh, you know. sure you are, buddy. They're, they're not going to relent on this because what, what, what has happened is that the Democrats and the media united to create a zero risk tolerance in the American psyche for communicable disease. So we got to get to zero risk. OK, and and if you're at a zero risk tolerance, it, then it's unex- you're never you're never going to get back normalcy. Now, you might get closer to normal. I, I know that there are places, you know, New York is opening 25 percent into redundant. They're going to give you little tastes of it here and there to shut you up. And you better be grateful for it, peasant or else. But they're not going to say you don't have to go around. I mean, I, I'm I'm in the gym. I've actually been. Able to, to go to the gym and work out recently, which is nice. And, you know, working off some of those COVID LBs, you know, a lot of COVID cookies. What can I tell you? But it's starting to work. But I, I sit there. I am I'm, I'm doing deadlifts and, and doing whatever I can in the gym. I got the stupid mask on. I'm alone in a gym with a mask on because people are paranoid and they're lunatics about this whole thing. That's where we are. There, I've, I've never even seen a senior citizen in my gym. OK, so start with that. Never even seen one. But it's a private gym anyway here we are we're living our lives based upon the exaggerated fears and remember it wasn't just fear that came about by itself it was the media it was CNN with the COVID deaths on the screen every day right it was putting all these experts on TV who were saying we're gonna we're gonna have 2 million deaths unless we do these lockdowns and it's now you know teachers unions acting like it's a death sentence for them to just show up and do their jobs can't can't do their jobs. Not 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 to import enough for the teachers unions to actually have to go to this. And you got people like Cuomo out there who are. Right, Cuomo, I think, is really now. The the single he's the epitome of Democrat governance in the pandemic. And w- which is very instructive because New York has had the worst results of any state in the entire country, really. Um, and, and but Cuomo goes around acting like he's done a good job. Remember that attitude I told you about as they start to give you back some degree of normalcy, as they start to restore some autonomy. Not all, of course, just a little bit in your life. You better be grateful for it. These tyrants don't want to hear about how they're idiots and they were wrong, like Cuomo all along. They don't want to hear that. Governor Newsom, uh, Governor Polis, Colorado, you know, all these governors, not Governor DeSantis. He's just now, he's just running around basically doing victory laps because he's like, look, the data speaks for itself. We're all supposed to care so much about the numbers? Well, we look at the numbers. I, I don't know why, tech, I mean, Texas was disappointing in this regard. It really really was as a state. Texas should have been better off. Uh, it should have been more willing to hold the line, but they weren't. Uh, but here, here you have so many people that I think, Oh, apologies. And Cuomo at the very top of the list. And he's saying about uh, about reopening schools. I'm sorry, reopening restaurants in New York City at 25 percent capacity, which is not enough for them to really stay in business. He's saying, be thankful or shut your mouth. Play six.
5: Uh, Some restaurants say 25 percent isn't enough. Look, 25 percent is better than zero. And that's where we are now. Uh, if the numbers continue to get better, that number will go up. Uh, If uh, hell uh, develops and the sky falls and a new variant uh, explodes onto the scene, then uh, we'll have the opposite problem statewide. Uh, But if the numbers continue to get better, then we will continue to increase the numbers, right? It's it's an economic metric. It's a number.
1: Yeah. You hear that about the new variant? You, you think they're going to just let you they're going to let you go back to your life and they're going to relinquish these dictatorial powers they've taken? Our our freedom has been under more assault in the last year than at any time in my life. And yet people are just, you know, they're, they're ordering pizza and watching Netflix and thinking it's all going to get better no, we have a fight ahead of ourselves now. With this Biden administration, it's gotten a lot worse. Don't you see? Oh, there's, gonna, there's a variant out there. There's a whole bunch of COVID cases that pop up. Got to shut down again. Next fall, you think that the variants are all going to go away? You think there's not going to be stories about a mutation here or there? And all of a sudden, maybe it's not effective against the vaccine. Better mask up, better social distance. They, they've created, they've conditioned society to think that this is normal now. And people go along with it. People are buying into this. And they're listening to people like like Cuomo who are out there pretending that they've made good decisions, pretending that they've known what's going on here. And uh, this is him talking about the nursing home report. Remember, they hid 50 percent of the deaths in nursing homes in New York state. They said initially it was close to nine thousand. It was more like 12 to 13 thousand. Fifty percent. OK, it's a big deal. Here he is on that report, just saying, whatever, play five.
5: A third of all deaths in this nation are from nursing homes. New York State, we're only about 28% only, but we're below the national average in number of deaths in nursing homes. But who cares? 33, 28, died in a hospital, died in a nursing home. They died. And I dealt with the loss of my father. The pain is so incredible uh, and inexplicable, and why, and why, and why uh, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy.
1: His father did not die of COVID, as far as I understand. So he's just doing this whole misdirection, give me sympathy thing. This guy signed an executive order, and that executive order resulted in many people here in New York, where I live, losing family members. Because they were unnecessarily exposed to COVID in the worst possible circumstances inside of a nursing home. That's what happened. He can do all this talking about his leadership. He can write his book about COVID lessons. And now he can tell us to be thankful for 25% indoor dining. Even though, speaking of the numbers, they thought that maybe 1% of COVID transmission was happening in restaurants. This is what I mean about a risk-free society. Ninety nine percent of transmissions happening elsewhere, but restaurants have to be shut down. You know, OK, well, you know, maybe you should hold your breath for 30 seconds, 10 times an hour. And that, that might prevent a couple covid cases, you know, a handful across the country. What you don't want to save lives. You mean to tell me there's some level of idiocy, some level of authoritarianism that's too much? Gosh, that's a, what, what are you, some kind of a libertine? some kind of extreme libertarian or something? You, you don't think the government should be able to tell you how you can breathe, when you can breathe? Oh, you must not care about grandma.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show.
4: President Biden has put forward a bold and ambitious climate agenda to kickstart A clean energy revolution in our country create millions of good union jobs and to center justice at the heart of decision making his agenda calls for at least 40 percent of future clean energy and climate safe investment to be directed towards impacted and frontline communities but as the new administration looks to act on this goal Uh, The mapping tools created by our legislation will help our government understand where exactly this funding should be allocated. Our bill will help bring power uh, to frontline communities uh, and help bring community members to the table where the decisions are being made. We have the opportunity to address environmental injustice in the face of this pandemic and prevent further public health dangers. Right now is the moment to pass strong environmental justice legislation to protect frontline communities and reverse decades of environmental racism.
1: What the hell is Ed Markey talking about? I mean, I wanted you to hear that so that we could have a moment here to process this together. Is is he even I know that there; those are words. He's all using words in the English language. What is he saying, though? What does what does he think he's saying with all this? We've got to pass environmental justice legislation. You know, we got to do this thing for the. Wait, what? What, what? what does that mean? Environmental racism? What is I mean, I'm somebody who my, my whole work, my day to day, my, my life as a professional is dedicated to understanding what's in the news and what the stories are. And and it's amazing to me that you always have to, you have to come up with and figure out new concepts along the way. You never heard of you. environmental racism. What is that? Now, I understand they would I, I know how they would answer it, but I'm asking the question because I want everyone to stop and think for a it. First of all, that the Biden team would come in during a pandemic and instead of just focusing on handling this, getting the economy back open, up and running and, and doing the best job humanly possible to get this vaccine out as fast as possible. No, there's all this other stuff that we have to sit around and talk about. There's the Keystone XL pipeline. There's a. Uh, The freeze on deportations, which, as we know, a court has already said uh, you can't do that. But there's all these there's all these other things that are are going on that they're at the very beginning of the administration going for here. And climate change is certainly high up on that list, too. And I think people want to ask the question. They want to say, uh, hold on a second. Climate change is something that we have to focus on right now. It's urgent. Well, not to a normal person, but to a person who has been brainwashed by all this left wing rhetoric. Yeah, of course. You know, whatever. We got to save the planet, man. Like we got to save the planet. But Ed Markey is a guy who is uh, running around talking about climate justice and environmental racism. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that that here's this guy. This guy is an old an old, you know, white dude from Massachusetts who is clearly reading speeches written for him by people that are far more progressive and woke than he is. But he just says what he's got to say. He mouths the approved slogans of the left without ever, without ever actually thinking about this. By the way, he was the ranking member of the house natural resources committee in the house of representatives for a while. Um, And he also was one of the 31 house Democrats who voted not to count the electoral votes from Ohio in the 2004 presidential election. So you know, president uh, opposing um, election outcomes for Democrats is fine. But but here we are at uh, Ed, Ed Markey telling you about environmental racism. He is the Senate author of the Green New Deal. So this guy is at the very forefront of this. And you'd have to wonder, you have to ask yourself. What the heck is he talking about? But the truth is, he's uh He's just pushing for more government control. Um, he, he's pushing for um, being a guy that will be in a position to determine what the ju- what justice is all about. Uh, so I, I'm, I sit here and I say to you, this is a disaster for all of us. This is a disaster because what it does is it puts people in positions where they're pretending they're going to help you and the whole country and the whole world. When they're really just going to help themselves, you know, invite here, it would even be kind of fun to do this. What is in like? Let, let's look up a definition of this one together uh, in, environmental racism. What, what comes up is a concept where in the environmental justice movement, the term is you developed in the 1970s and 80s. The term is used to describe environmental injustice that occurs within a racialized context. Huh? Okay, so what does that mean? What uh, what wh- what is environmental racism? A town in China where people have been poisoned. This in the Rio Grande Valley, toxic waste. Uh, why can't it just be protecting the environment for everyone? What why can't it just be conservation? And I mean, we all want clear. We all want clean water and clean air. Um, but no, they, they break down. Even the environment is an issue of identity politics. And if you disagree with that, of course, you're part of the problem. You're you're not allowed to disagree with these things. Um, And and then what is what is environmental justice? I mean, the word justice is being abused by the left so much now that it's hard to even think of what what the definition is supposed to be. It's just whatever they say it is. Is it justice for the people who lost their jobs on the Keystone XL pipeline uh, when their jobs would have actually uh, put no more CO2 in the air than was going to happen anyway? Is that justice? No, of course, it's injustice. But they use these terms, they use these words as a means of silencing people, as a means of shutting up their opponents. And they have no plans to uh, to stop anytime soon. All we really can expect is that they're going to double down on all of this. Biden, the Green New. I mean, this guy is a Green New Deal. The Green New Deal is, is insanity. It is green socialism. That's what the Green New Deal really is. That's why AOC likes it so much. But you're going to this is going to be a central effort from the Democrats from now on.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
1: Our buddy John Cardillo in the house. He is formerly of the NYPD. He's a conservative commentator, TV and radio host. Mr. Cardillo from down in sunny Florida, sir. How are you?
3: Doing great, Buck. It's like 75,
1: no humidity. You should be down here. Yeah, it's, uh looks like uh, the snowpocalypse outside my window right now, but fair enough. Um, tell me this, yeah, man. I you know, I, I've been pointing out to people that the, the the latest you're hearing from the teachers' union specifically, I think this is just really indicative of how, I mean, Democrats have been playing a double game here all along. They say it's all about the data, anything to be safe, but as soon as the data shows it is safe, then we'll, then we'll move. No, I mean, it's it, they never yeah. should have closed down schools, but they're still pretending that there's this debate to be had in good faith about how kids in some places, I know not in Florida, but shouldn't be in school K through eight.
3: Look, I think the psychological impact of these kids is just absolutely mind blowing. Anecdotally, friends of mine with uh, elementary to middle to high school age kids, it's devastating. It's psychologically devastating. They've got no socialization. They're not with their friends. I, I've long said uh going back to when I was a cop in New York, going back 25 years, you have to eradicate the teachers' unions to ever see public education in the U.S. be anything of value. Sure, you've got some schools here and there, these specialty high schools, but for the most part, the teachers' unions are far-left rat's nests. The UFT, which is unique to the United Federation of Teachers, New York City public school system, and then the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, Ran the UFT, went over to the AFT. One of Hillary Clinton's closest political allies. These are bona fide hardcore political operatives. The kids, the students, they are last on the list of these people. But,
1: and I mean, New York City is a great example of this because you've got about forty percent of K through eight public schools are closed. Meanwhile, private schools are open, parochial schools are open, yep. and they're fine teachers aren't all dying and getting sick students are all fine they're doing it so i i think at this point there there's also there's of course the the trying to hold out and hold the kids hostage in a sense these these unions wanting you know ring more concessions out of the hands of the taxpayers during this yep. time of of particular suffering for for whole you know whole cities whole states uh, but beyond that if they were to open and we saw that everything is OK, which is what we would see, John, because, as you know, not only are private schools in this country and even in some public schools in some places open uh, like they are in Florida. But, I mean, you look at the example of Europe, European countries never shut down schools in most cases, and, and they've certainly never shut down schools for long periods of time. The kids are fine. The teachers are fine. So if they were if they were to open up now, it Absolutely. would show that this was a, this, the decision making was awful
3: which was also was awful rather and unnecessary. Look, my niece and nephew, they live on Long Island, my brother's kids, she's twelve, he's fifteen. They both go to either a private or a private parochial high school. There's no problem. There are no problems. Their their life is exactly as it was before COVID. There's no problem whatsoever. And interestingly, I spoke to a good friend of mine, a guy I know since I'm twenty years old, who now is American guy from New York, now lives in The Hague in the Netherlands. His wife's job transferred them out there. The country was doing great, he told me, until the virtue signaling left in Europe forced the Netherlands to shut down. They've shut down. Things are in disarray and there was no reason for them to do it. So, look, you and I have said this many times. It sure seems like this has nothing to do with science anymore and everything to do with politics.
1: Governor Ron DeSantis is becoming something of of a folk hero uh, among conservatives yeah. john and and it's the best kind of political folk hero because it's based on results not on promises you know not on things that didn't get yep. built or legislation that didn't get passed you're looking at what's gone on i mean it was amazing i just told everybody uh listening to the show last week that he the tax receipts in the state of Florida are up 300 million dollars in the middle of the pandemic what does that tell you
3: yep You know, Buck, I uh, I live in Fort Lauderdale, obviously. We were one of the last counties to open, but we still got fully open around May uh, in terms of fully in this environment. Now we're as close to fully open as we were before COVID. There are no issues. And and I'll tell you, restaurants that I frequent, places that I'm a regular, where even before COVID I've never waited for a table, and I love waiting now. You've got to wait a half hour for a couple of seats at the bar. You've got to wait an extra 20 minutes for a table People are going back out, they're spending money, the staffs are making their money again. So it doesn't shock me at all, it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing that increase in receipts. DeSantis has done an outstanding, outstanding job. Common sense measures, reining in the local little tyrant politicians, and most importantly, Buck, he's putting businesses and Floridians, their income, their ability to feed their families before all else, while not ignoring the science. He's looking at the science and saying, not as bad as they're making it out to be I'm not gonna crush my state's economy
1: are you hearing even more from people up in the up in the New York area and particularly anybody you know who's still you know affiliated yeah. with with the uh, NYPD about you know maybe they're gonna retire early and and, and head down south because as you know John you've you, you've seen you've, you've hung out with my, my brothers down there in Florida I got two brothers that are now living yeah. in Florida and they're looking for permanent moves there they're looking at real estate to buy um, my family's gonna I mean it, it's amazing how many people in my own orbit, are saying, oh no, th- this is not something we're talking about. We're actually, we're doing it. Are you are you hearing the same thing? And, and do you think that at some, is there any stage at which Cuomo and de Blasio have to get the message?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, the short answer is, yeah. Not only from friends in New York, but in D.C. as well. I would say I've recommended realtors to five or six people from New York and D.C. in the last week who want to move down to South Florida, either Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. So it's 80% of the people I speak to, and I, you, the Bolsonaro the and Cuomo have to get the message. They they already have the message. They don't care. I, what I'm really curious to see is if this recall campaign against Newsom gets enough signatures. I believe it will. They were short only about 100,000. They need a big buffer. They probably need about half a million more to have that buffer for the rejected signatures. But if that recall effort works, I think it's going to put the fear of God into King Cuomo and de Blasio, I don't think he cares. I think de Blasio is a committed leftist who's so out of it. Unfortunately, the city's just going to have to wait for this guy to go for him to be voted out. Cuomo, though, is a political animal, and I don't think he wants to go the route of Gavin Newsom.
1: Speaking of John Cardillo, former NYPD, a conservative commentator, radio host, TV host. John, uh, speaking of leftism, it's, it's funny to see even some Democrats in the media. You know, I saw something in The New York Times about this where they're they're writing all of a sudden about how wow gosh biden's like i guess he's a little more progressive than we thought and guys like you and i are sitting around saying oh you mean the trojan horse is actually the trojan horse that we warned america about but apparently right. you know we could well, what what do you make of how it's going so far
3: i mean look we've got biden on video for years screaming at blue collar guys essentially dressing them down telling them they're idiots and the media telling us he's the champion of the blue collar worker it's ridiculous right i mean we knew this was going to happen i will say i didn't think we were going to see nearly 50 executive orders in two weeks so he's uh he's he's exceeded my expectations with his progressivism which i despise the only uh, silver lining in the cloud is the independent voters the non-party affiliated, those real moderate centrist voters they're seeing that this was not the moderate they were sold that this guy is far left and he's willing to legislate with a pen from behind the resolute desk. Separation of powers means nothing to him. I think this is going to be, uh, if things continue on this trajectory, Buck, I think Republicans might, might have a good 22 midterm.
1: I also think that people are seeing that there will be decisions made. There have already been some, but there'll be more decisions made from this White House where if it's between what the MSNBC commentariat and the New York Times editorial page wants and thousands and thousands of blue collar workers, jobs and ability to pay their mortgage and, and feed their families yep. is Biden administration is going with door number one and, and not really making any oh, yeah. uh, not really making much in the way of excuses for it either. That's just the way it's going to be. I think people are, are already starting to see this is not what they were sold by the mainstream media
3: especially in Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia. I mean, these people are devastated and being told, oh, you can go build solar panels by John Kerry, a guy who married $700 million and has never had a real job a day in his life. I mean, the the condescension from these DC elites to the average working person, hopefully, hopefully, this is the wake-up call to finally get middle-class, hardworking Americans to realize the Democratic Party is not their friend.
1: Also got to ask you, John, there's this uh, story about last last minute legal change. Uh, That's putting it mildly, I think, with some of the Trump defense team. We're only a couple weeks away now from what's going to be this impeachment post presidency trial. Uh, Do you have any insight into these? uh, You know, you you know, this well, you know, the former occupant of the White House and his team. Well, the the lawyer, what's going on with this? Because I think people are seeing this and saying, Hold on a second. Why are they changing up lawyers at the last minute? And and what's all this about? He he wants to relitigate the election again through this trial. What are you seeing and hearing?
3: You know, I really haven't uh, reached out to anybody on the legal team about it because that story broke so quickly. I plan to do it today. But I, You know, listen, we're seeing what happens to anybody that even uh, wore a MAGA hat and, and a pick in the last five years. as a young influencer who is doing a lot of work with Sephora. The cosmetics chain. Well, they found out she's a Republican. That's it. She never put anything incendiary on social media. She never uh, uh, went after anybody, doxed anybody, did anything remotely controversial. They found out she's a conservative, but that in air quotes, and they canceled her. They put out a statement. She doesn't align with their values. I think the attorneys that, that Trump's calling on are, are afraid of the same type of cancellation. If they work for big firms, I think they're afraid of these Fortune 100 companies who might not inherently be liberal or or that might not inherently be liberal, but their agency people are, their PR people, their advertising people, warning them, telling them, stay away from anything Trump because all of the clients will cancel your law firm. And so I think that it's a byproduct of that, of cancel culture, which is reprehensible.
1: Are you starting to see any real movement from our side as a counter cancel culture that you think is is going to be making some headway? Because right now at. It does feel sometimes, I mean, I have a lot of people across the country writing in me saying, what do we do? What do we do? And they'll say, it feels like we're just being told, you know, have a stiff upper lip and, uh, you know, sort of take take your medicine, eat your peas, we'll figure something out. I'd like to tell them more than that. What are you telling people? Yeah.
3: Well, uh, what I will say is this, and I don't want to reveal too much about what we're doing uh, going into 22, but I, but I will say some some of us with brands like yours and mine and others who are well-known I would call them America first political operatives, not not the QAnon group, I mean, really legitimate, hardcore people that have been in the electoral game for years. We're starting now to convince the powers that be on the the mega donor side and on the state party side, the state party apparatus, because you can't trust the big RNC, they're gone with the establishment, that the America first base is much larger and much more powerful than they realized and we're seeing some movement. So I'm optimistic on, on that front. And I'll tell you, a group of us out there on Twitter have done a good job beating the hell out of the Lincoln Project for John Weaver, their co-founder, who we now know there are credible allegations from 21 young men that he was sexually inappropriate. And in one instance, there's an accusation that he groomed a 14-year-old boy. And this is an organization that raised $87 million in the last election cycle, $30 million of it spent to support Joe Biden and oppose Donald Trump, not one shred of condemnation from Democrats. And that organization, the other founders are saying, we barely knew the guy, barely knew the guy. They worked with him in 20 years, raised 87 million alongside him. Well, we've started an onslaught and I won't call it cancel culture, shining a spotlight on some very bad people who have been vicious to the right. And I think we need more of that as well. Do it in a way that's, that's legal, that's ethical, But if somebody's acting badly and they've been these phony, sanctimonious, uh, really operatives out there, dangerous operatives, shine a light right back on them. It's time for us to push back. And I think what we're doing against the Lincoln Project right now is a very good template for others to use. It's being done right.
1: John Cardillo, everybody. Follow him uh, on social media. Stay abreast of his projects and commentary. John, thanks so much for your time, man. Stay warm.
3: Always good to see you, my friend. Thanks, brother. Take care.